0: This morning, we continue our sermon series that we've been in for a little bit. And for me, this series has been both challenging but also rich as we've been diving into what Jesus calls full life. This series actually comes primarily from John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus gives a promise where he says, I have come that they may have life, they being us, and have life to the full. And so, we've been asking ourselves in this series, what are our lives full of? Are they full of what Jesus came to give us, or are they full of all sorts of counterfeit things that we feel like will give us full life, but in the end, leave us wanting? And today, we'll unpack another aspect of that full life that Jesus came to give us. But I don't know about you, I think this is a great time of year to be watching sports, We've got playoff baseball, though not so pleased with last night's result. We've got the beginnings of hockey and basketball seasons. We've got football season. And sports are amazing for all sorts of reasons, but not least of which that in sports, we can see and experience things that totally defy our imagination and expectation. Like, like, let's be really honest. Who in this room would have believed that the Eagles would be 6-0 the Giants would be five and one, and the Jets would be four and two, that all of the local teams have a winning record so far. Yeah, none of us, the silence is telling, right? And for me, it's really difficult to wrap, to wrap my head around this and figure out what to do, because I am a Broncos fan, and we brought in a very, very expensive quarterback, and we are two and four. See, the expectations were so high, but the reality has been very different every single painful week. And that's the thing about expectations. You know, there could be these disconnects in our expectations and reality, and sometimes that's exciting and surprising and beautiful, and other times it's difficult and it's challenging and even painful to reconcile. And so today we're going to look at the reality of expectations, specifically our expectations of full life and even more so our expectations of Jesus. And so let's jump in to Matthew chapter 16. If you'd like, you can follow along on the screens, but let's listen for God's word speaking into our lives this morning. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You for your word that you've given us, that you spoke so long ago, but Lord, may you speak it fresh into our lives this morning, that we can not just hear, but we can receive, we can understand, and we can respond. Because Lord, we long for full life that you've promised to give in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a powerful and provocative passage on its own, but it's even more so when we consider it in its context. Right at the beginning of the passage, it said, from that time, Jesus began. And so that should beg a question for us. What time? What happened that brought him to this moment that he needed to begin doing this? And so if you look back in chapter 16, just before what we read, we have this scene of Jesus with his disciples and he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they respond, some say John the Baptist that's raised from the dead, others say Elijah or one of the prophets of old, and Jesus flips it on him and says, who do you say that I am? And Peter, it's always Peter, jumps in first, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replies, blessed are you, Peter, because you didn't figure this out on your own, but this was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. And this moment is so profound because it's finally clear. Jesus' identity is finally clear. It is out in the open. There's no guessing left. He is the Christ, the Messiah, which is actually the same. Just one's Greek and one's Hebrew. He is the anointed one, the son of the living God. And I think it's hard for us to really imagine what this moment was like for them and what they were feeling at this moment. Because it was like waiting and longing for something and waiting and waiting and waiting and then finally it happens. Maybe it's like waiting, longing for that dream job only to be denied and denied and denied and then finally the breakthrough comes. Or longing for a baby and going through all of the fertility treatments and disappointment and pain and grief and then giving up and then a baby is on the way. And even these may pale in comparison because this is the culmination of generations of longing. See, for hundreds of years, the people of God have been longing for the Christ to arrive. They've been longing for this, and now it's clear he's here, and they are so excited. So, but Jesus has to kind of temper their excitement. Matter of fact, in the the verse immediately prior to what we read this morning, it says, he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Why would he do that? I mean, isn't that why he came? So that he could go do the Christ things that Christ's supposed to do that everybody would know and believe in him. Why would he try to keep this all under wraps? It has everything to do with expectations, the expectations they had of Jesus Christ. And that's why from that time on, Jesus had to begin teaching them that the Son of Man, he had to go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer, that he would die, and on the third day, he would be raised again to life from that time on. In other words, it wasn't just this time. It was like he had to repeat this over and over and over and over, kind of like talking to our kids sometimes. But see, Jesus had to repeat it because there was such a huge disconnect between their expectations and the reality. They couldn't reconcile the two things that have just been put before them. He is the Christ, the Messiah, and he must suffer and die many think that the expectations in that day were that the Christ would come as a, in a militaristic victory that the king the true king of Israel would come would kick out the roman empire that had occupied israel would restore israel to its grandeur its glory its prosperity and blessing but that doesn't sound a lot like what jesus just described does it there's a disconnect Wait, you die? No, 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 you're the Christ. Never, Lord, Peter says. That won't happen to you. He's ready to enlist in the army right here, right now. And Peter doesn't actually ever get this until after Jesus rises again from the dead. We see it in the garden where Jesus is being arrested. Peter takes out a sword and lops off the ear of the high priest's servant. He's ready to fight to the end. He doesn't get it. Even now, he's trying to protect Jesus. No, I will go with you. We will go with you. It's not necessary for you to go and die. And try to put yourself in Peter's shoes for a moment and have Jesus peer back, look you right in the eyes and say, get behind me, Satan. Ouch. Talk about a slap in the face. How harsh. You know, and and, it's harsh to us, but here's the thing. Satan, the word Satan means adversary. And clearly this is what Jesus is thinking about because he follows that up and says, Peter, you do not have mind the things of God. You only have the concerns of humanity. And furthermore, the things that you're saying, the things that Peter was saying to Jesus sounded probably an awful like, a lot like the things that Jesus heard in Matthew chapter 4 when he was taken out into the wilderness and he was, he was tempted by Satan himself. See, in that moment, in Matthew 4, he was tempted three times. Three times to reject God's command and to grab hold for himself the same things, the same expectations that Peter had. In other words, to kind of flex his muscle, to use his power for his own good, to grab hold of the kingdom and usher it in through force and to finally be honored as the Messiah. And so in this moment, out of Peter's mouth come words that sound an awful lot and feel an awful lot like the temptation of Satan. And so Jesus sees in Peter's face the face of a friend, but he hears the words of an enemy. So get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. And it all comes down to Peter's expectations and the disconnect of his expectations of what the full life was supposed to look like. It was supposed to look like triumph and blessing. And I wonder how many of us approach our life of faith with similar expectations. Wonder how many of us approach Jesus with some of the same kind of triumphalistic expectations that we will, re- we will have comfort in this life, that we will have security, that we will have protection, that we will have provision, that we will have healing. We come with our longings and our expectations for a significant other or for success or financial blessing, and, and we want these things, and we want these things for our children and their children, and none of them are inherently wrong, <laughs> But I wonder how often we make these things our highest value and then approach Jesus with the assumption that because these are our highest value and priorities, they're going to be God's priority for us as well. And so we expect Him to give them to us. And actually, there's even preaching and teaching within the church today that reinforces this mindset teaching that says something like this, that if you really trust God, if you really believe, then you will receive the blessing. You'll receive whatever that blessing is that you long for. And sure, that's true sometimes, that God gives us the things that we long for. But implied in this teaching is that if you don't have the blessings that you long for, then your faith must be deficient that there's something wrong with you, that you don't really trust God, that you're broken. And I'm going to contend that the absence of blessings does not necessarily mean that there's something deficient with your faith. It may mean that God is up to something else. Because over and over again, we see throughout Scripture and we see throughout history that God's plan for His people involves suffering. And in this passage today, it's not just suffering in general. We're looking at voluntary suffering. In other words, sacrifice. In this passage, we could read that section where Jesus says, I have to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die. We could read that as something happening to Jesus. But when we take it in the context of what we know of Jesus' whole story, and we see in John 10, 18, Jesus says, No one takes my life from me but I lay it down of my own accord voluntarily. In other words, Jesus suffers voluntarily. It's his sacrifice. It's not something happening to Jesus. It's something he's choosing because it was God's plan for him to suffer, to sacrifice, and to die. And there's no argument that Jesus suffered Those who don't believe in him as the Christ believe that. And he didn't have the comfort and security and protection and prosperity that we so often attach with our expectations. And so are we willing to conclude that Jesus' faith was deficient? That there was something broken about him? Well, if it was God's will for Jesus to suffer and there was nothing wrong with his faith, then perhaps the suffering we experience does not indicate something wrong with our faith. Perhaps it is God's will for us to sacrifice to suffer just as Jesus sacrificed and suffered. Now, and I know sacrifice isn't really fun to think about. I have yet to see a commercial telling you how a product is going to make your life miserable and ruin it, right? Because it's just not a good sales technique. Nobody's buying that product, And so we, sometimes I think in America, we've tried to help Jesus with his advertising. We've tried to soft sell what he's putting out there. We've tried to, you know, ease off a little bit. Jesus should have probably changed his approach. It's not very attractive because Jesus doesn't pull the punch. He says, hey, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me because whoever wants to save his life has to lose it. See, this is a call to sacrifice, because sacrifice is God's plan. But I know we don't like sacrifice because it costs us. That's what the story was from 2 Samuel we heard earlier, where David goes up to make an offering to God, and Arana comes out seeing his king approaching, asking what he wants, what he's up to. David says, I've come to make an offering, and Arana's like, take all of my sheep, all of my oxen, all of the land, whatever, it's yours, have it as a gift, But David refuses the way of ease and comfort for himself, doesn't he? And he says, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Sacrifice costs something. Voluntary suffering, voluntary sacrifice costs us something, but it honors God. And it cost Jesus enormously, didn't it? What did it cost Jesus? (laughs) I think it's hard to even begin to wrap our minds around what it really cost Jesus. I mean, we can try. The agony of the beatings that he experienced, the abandonment and rejection by his closest friends, the mockery. Right, the, the abuse of his reputation, the brutality of tearing his body apart, being crucified and hung on a cross, ultimately suffocating because he was too weak to push himself up to get another gasp of air and pile on top of that the reality of the sin of the whole world, your sin and my sin, piled upon him, the agony of hell itself as he is separated from the Father. <laughs> it's not really enough or adequate to say that it cost him everything, is it? (laughs) But he voluntarily made the sacrifice to God because it was part of God's plan. A sacrifice to God but for us because without his sacrifice, we would have no hope. I mean, no real hope for lasting comfort, security, peace, joy, and meaning. No hope beyond this life. And Jesus knows that. I think that's why he warns us that we will, we will trade the full life that Jesus came to give us, that he came to earn for us by his sacrifice for the life that we can grab hold of, the life that we long for and even expect to have in this life. That's so why Jesus asks, what good is it? What good is it if you get it all? What good is it if you get financial blessings, influence, power, security? What good is it if you have a spouse and children and degrees? What good is it if you have a job? What good is it if you get all that you long for and forfeit your soul? None of those things will last. And we know that. Even if you're not a believer in Jesus or in an afterlife, we're all aware that someday we will face the reality of our own mortality. And the question that will linger for all of us is, was life worth it? Is this all that there is? And Jesus is saying, no, this isn't it. All those things you've gained here and now are nothing compared to what I have secured for you eternally by my costly sacrifice. An eternity of glorious love and peace and joy. What good is it if we get everything our hearts desire and even expect in this life but forfeit our souls? St. Francis of Assisi learned this deeply. He was born near the end of the 12th century. He was born into a wealthy family. His father owned a textile business, and so they were sending cloth all over the world, and the family lived in incredible luxury. And he was a wild young man. He was charming, right? He was handsome. He was apparently a wonderful singer, and the women would swoon at the sound of his voice But he had a desire to be a knight because he wanted to be powerful and significant in addition to wealthy. And so he went out one day and he bought himself a glorious suit of honor. And he enlisted in the army. And in his first military campaign, he's taken captive. Because his captors realize that they can get a hefty ransom for someone dressed as nicely as he is. And so he's taken into captivity for a year. And during that year, his body begins to break down and he becomes seriously ill. See, it was God's will for him to suffer in captivity and illness. Because in that suffering, he started to question and wonder, what good was it? What good were all of the parties? What good was the revelry? What good was the swooning women in the streets? What good was all of the wealth that I had before when my life hangs in the balance? And his father paid the the handsome ransom for him. And he came back a changed man and decided to dedicate his life to Christ. And he started giving away the cloth and the goods from the family business without telling dad, which didn't go over very well. And dad confronted him and eventually even disowned him. And legend has it at that moment he was disowned, Francis took off even the clothes that he was wearing and gave them back to his father, that he took a vow of poverty at that moment, a vow that was saying, yeah, the life I had before has left me empty. What good is it to gain the whole world? I already had it all, but I'd lost my soul. So he gave his life to serving the poor and the outcast." He took to wearing rags and was often known as the barefoot beggar because he would give his shoes away to those who didn't have them and he would beg for his food. One day he was riding on a horse and he heard a familiar sound to him. It was the sound of something called a clapper. A clapper was a device that made a distinct noise. It was a device that had to be used by those who had leprosy as a warning to everyone else that, hey, they have this skin disease that might be contagious, and so everybody should stay away from them. In Francis's youth, he despised the lepers. He couldn't stand them. And as he heard this sound, he knew exactly what he was approaching, and he could feel the revulsion come inside of him. And yet he felt this irresistible force compel him to get off of his horse. And as he approached this man, he could see that his face was one giant sore. And as he walked up to the man, he took his face between his hands and he leaned in and Francis kissed him. With the kiss of peace. And even as I read that, my stomach churned. But in that moment... The kiss of peace immediately given in return from this man who had been given a gift of dignity, given a gift of honor, given a gift of worth at an incredible cost to Francis. A sacrifice. A sacrifice possibly of his health, of his comfort for sure, of his desires. But a sacrifice to love this man who before now was nothing to him because he knew that there was nothing in this life that he could gain compared to the life to come that Jesus had secured for him. And so his life between here and there became this life of voluntary sacrifice for the sake of others, which is really what sacrifice is all about. It certainly was what Jesus' sacrifice was about. It wasn't just about suffering in general, as if suffering in and of itself is some, like, inherent good, No, that's not it. It was suffering that honored God, but also was for the benefit of others. Jesus' sacrifice benefiting us, our sacrifice benefiting those that we can serve. And so as we pursue full life, are we holding on? Are we going to still cling to our expectations of security, of prosperity, and blessing in this life? Or are we realizing that the full life is the way of sacrifice? Voluntary suffering to honor God and for the sake of others. Who are you sacrificing to serve? Who are you serving? How are you sacrificing? Sacrifice costs us something. Is it costing you? Does it cost you time? Does it cost you money? Does it cost you comfort and security? Does it cost you a risk? How are you sacrificing? How are we sacrificing to honor God, to serve others, as we wait for the fullness of what Jesus sacrificed for us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you, you are a God that was willing to will suffering on our behalf, that you sent your son to sacrifice for us so that we could have a security eternally. Lord God, we want to acknowledge that we often bring to you expectations of how our lives are going to go. And we certainly prefer comfort and ease, and yet, Lord, we see and hear in this a call to sacrifice, not to self-preservation, not to our own comfort and desires. Lord, will you lead us? Give us the courage to walk the road that Jesus walked. May you inspire us more and more by what Jesus has done for us, that we will embrace his way of being that leads to fullness of life, Lord, show us how we can sacrifice to honor you, that we can sacrifice to serve others in our lives. In your name, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.